This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today we're visiting with John Amos, Valley resident, writer, and actor. You might have seen him in such TV shows as Roots, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, The West Wing, one of my favorites, A-Team, uh, My Name is Earl, Murder, She Wrote. Also, he has film credits, which include American Flyers, Coming to America, and Die Hard 2. John, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. You've been in the Valley about a year, you said. Just about a year's time. Of course, I always have to ask this. Uh, Westcliff is a world away from Hollywood. Yes, how, it is. how does one find a place like this? Well... My friend, Les Franklin, is a retired exec from IBM, owns the property that I'm presently living on. And Wes, uh, excuse me, Les was born and raised in Colorado, and I was introduced to Colorado when I accepted a football scholarship to CSU in Fort Collins many, many, many years ago, decades ago. And it was my first time in the West. I'd never seen anything quite so beautiful in my life. It looked like a picture postcard. That is Colorado. So I came out and um, fell in love with Colorado at first sight, and I've been coming back for periodic visits ever since then, and recently I decided, after talking with Franklin, the owner of the property, decided to come and, and start my life here again at this point in my career and in my life, <laughs> and I love Westcliff. Well, we're glad you're here. So let me get right to it. What are a few of your favorite roles on film? Would that include TV? That would include, let's include TV too. Okay, thank you, because some of my favorites are in TV, i.e. Uh, Ernest Borgnine, who I worked with in a series called Future Cop, in which he and another actor who's, who has since uh, retired from the industry, they portrayed uniformed uh, police officers, and I was the third officer in the car, but unbeknownst to me, the youngest member of our trio was, was actually an android. He was a <laughs> robot, sort of. And the secret was kept for me. Ernie was in on it. Ernie's character, rather, was in on it. And uh, I, as, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't. I didn't know that he was a robot. So it, it baffled me how this guy was able to come up with all of these deductive answers so rapidly. <laughs> later to find out he was actually a robot. So that was one of my favorites. But it was really the fact that I was working with Ernest Borgnine, an Academy Award winner, who I had admired as a child going to the movies from his many, many credits, uh, uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, in which he played a villain opposite Spencer Tracy, From Here to Eternity, where he was nominated, and of course Marty, for which he won the Academy mm -hmm. Award. And I remember seeing an, his cover on his picture, rather, on the cover of Life magazine, which is now a defunct magazine, but at that time was one of the biggest selling magazines in the world. He was on the cover, and they billed him as the world's ugliest actor, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was, uh, uh, I don't know about that. Anyway, he was an extremely talented man and a gracious actor, so I loved working with him. Now, that's very cool. Uh, what's the most exotic location in which you've ever filmed anything? I would have to say uh, the Philippines. I was there doing a, a film, Dance of the Dwarfs, I think it was called, and I portrayed a, uh, a, a witch doctor of all things. But it was in the Philippines, and it was the part of the uh, 
country that they decided to shoot in had sort of like little mini volcanoes or eruptions from the ground. It was it was exotic, but it was also uh, it was also kind of scary. I had to handle a couple of uh, snakes, big snakes, <laughs> poisonous snakes, cobras, hooded cobras. But they'd been defanged and they'd had their <laughs> poison removed. So one of the locals was showing me how to handle uh, uh, poisonous snakes. <laughs> I wasn't the best student in the world, but we got through it. <laughs> now, uh, one of your most uh, well-known roles, I suspect, was as uh, James Evans Sr. in the 70s sitcom Good Times, which included Esther Roll as your, as your wife and yes. uh, Jimmy Walker as your son. Mm-hmm. How, how, did you, how did that part come your way? Well, I got a call from um, my my agent at the time who was representing me, and he said, Norman Lear is producing a new TV series called Good Times, and he'd like to uh, interview you for the role of the husband. So I went in, and Miss Roll, Esther Roll, that is, God rest her soul, was there, of course, and Norman, and he directed us through the reading. And at the conclusion of the reading, Miss Roll turned to Norman and said, He'll do just fine. I think I found my husband. <laughs> so that's how I was hired. And because uh, it was her show, she she was the star of the show. And so she was in a position to determine who was going to play opposite ah. her. Now, uh, that show was a spinoff of Maud. Yes. Which was a spinoff of, uh, all, of uh, Art, Archie Bunker. That Yeah, exactly. So Archie was, in, in a way, sort of my surrogate dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my understanding is that you had some you really had a different vision of that show than uh, Norman Norman Lear. Well, we had our differences. I mean, any time that you're involved in a creative process, you're going to have some differences as to how certain things or certain lines or certain subjects should be addressed. So I wasn't the most tactful or diplomatic guy in those days. I was a lot younger and more full of myself than I'd like to think I, sh- I had a right to be. So we did have some differences, and they, they resulted in my being fired from the show. I remember we were on hiatus, that is a break from production, mm-hmm. and I got a call, I think it was in the second year, or going into the third year. One way or the other, I got a call from Norman's office, and it was J.D. Joe, a young lady who was his assistant. She said, Norman would like to speak to you, which I thought was kind of unusual because it was off-season. Any, at any rate, the conversation ensued, and Norman said, John, this is Norman. I said, how are you? And he's, he was very cordial. He said, I'm doing fine. John, I got some uh, good news or bad news. What do you want first? I said, well, it's your dime. You made the call. <laughs> the good news is that, you won't, that uh, the show's been picked up for another year, which was a foregone conclusion because we were in the top ten at the conclusion of the previous season. And he, so he, there was a pause, and then he said, now, the bad news is you won't be with us. <laughs> and I let that sink in for a minute, and he said, well, I'm still on the phone. He says, well, don't you have anything to say? I said, no. He said, yeah, we've decided that uh, you've become too much of a disruptive factor, <laughs> <laughs> which is a nice way of saying you don't know when to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> so I was subsequently uh, fired from the show or terminated, whatever word you want to use that's most tactful. And that was pretty much it for good times. But the thing about Norman was he recognized talent, as I did, recognize him as probably the, mo- the preeminent producer in television, all of television. Uh, 
in the history of television, there's never been anyone who's had that many successful shows running at the same time. I think at one time, Norman had seven of the top ten shows on television that he had created or been intricately involved with. So we forgave, he forgave me, and in time I went back and did two more pilots for Norman, neither of which sold as a series, but to this day we maintain a uh, friendly, creative relationship. Ah, that's, that's good. So describe a typical week as an actor when you're on a sitcom. How, how does that play out? Well, you start off with a read-through. That is, you, you meet the cast. Now, assuming that the first couple of weeks have already gone by and you've already done a couple of episodes, you've got your working routine down. So you'll get a script, let's say, on a, on a, on a Friday, and they'll do a quick read-through. That is, the entire cast will be assembled around a table, and under the direction of Norman Lear or whoever's directing the episode, we will read through the script. The writers will make notes as to what has to be corrected or what has to be changed for the better betterment of the script. And then Tuesday you'll come in and you'll actually put it on, what we say, put it on its feet. The actors will get up and walk through the role and... Blocking will be determined by the director. That is, which way do the actors move, where do they go, and what do they do while they're delivering the lines. And then at the conclusion of that day, the writers will make will look at their notes and see what has to be changed or amended or corrected. And then when you come in the next day, you've got a new, a fresh script. And the thing with Norman, working for a producer like Norman Lear, who's so prolific and had so many projects going, the final script that you would commit to memory might not be ready for you to even see it for two or three more days. So now it's Friday, it's, let's say it's, it's Friday and you're about to tape the show, which you would do before a live audience, twice. What they do is they call it a, a, a rehearsal and dress. So before an audience, you'd get a chance to do the lines and do the script as written. And that would be at the conclusion of that second taping before a live audience. That would be it for that episode. You would be finished as an actor, and then it would be up to the production crew to edit and make the changes or add music or whatever. Right. So what's the best advice you ever got? I recall, again, I go back to my friend and my idol, uh, Ernest Borgnine, Academy Award winner, I went, to Nor- I went to him after I had started working on the series with him called Future Cop or Cleaver and Haven. I, I forget how they- what name they finally settled on. I believe it was Future Cop. And I asked him pointedly. By then I had already done Roots and been nominated for an, uh, an Emmy. And I asked, Norm- I asked Mr. Borgnine, I said, excuse me, Ernest, I need some advice. He said, yeah, what is it, kid? And I said, well, I've done Roots now, and I'd like to know, would you advise me to concentrate on dramatic roles or comedy or, or which? Because I, I, I kind of like doing the drama, and, but I love comedy. And he said, kid, take my advice. Take the job, cast a check, and forget about the rest of it. <laughs> so he was, he was pretty pragmatic and realistic about his approach to the business. That's, that sounds like good advice. Yes, sir. So what advice would you offer to your 18-year-old self if you could meet yourself 
back over over a Coke at the uh, malt shop when you were a kid? I'd say, look, remember that you're just an actor. You aren't a spokesman for the world's issues or the world's problems. And don't take it too serious because we're all just passing through. <laughs> and I'd say, uh, John Amos, before you know it, you're going to be an old man. So have all the fun you can <laughs> and don't take it too seriously. <laughs> so here's a perhaps a complex question, but film, TV, the stage. How would you compare the experience as an actor? Well, they are three totally different mediums, and they require a totally different mindset for the actor who's going into either of those. For me, my favorite would be the stage because I have direct communication with the audience. I can see the reaction on the audience's face and their body English as to how they're responding to what I'm attempting to deliver to them. Plus the fact that normally in a stage play you've got adequate time for rehearsal, which is quite different from television, especially today's television that moves so fast, you really don't have time to rehearse. So you're just superficially investing in the uh, dialogue that's been written by a number of writers. Compare that with film, and it's kind of hard because television moves so fast and film moves very slowly. It's been my experience that, uh, and you shoot out of sequence. You might start a movie on a on a certain date and shoot the end of it first, then shoot the middle of it, and then finally shoot the beginning of it, which means you've got to mentally prepare to go backwards as an actor. Sometimes you'll shoot in sequence so that you, as an actor, you grow with the character the way it's written. But my, as I said, my favorite medium is the stage because it's live, and it's exciting, and it's dangerous. And I like that feeling of danger. Can I remember all this dialogue? Do I? Can I remember where I'm supposed to go when I say this line and how I'm supposed? And there's so much to remember and retain. You really don't have time to uh, worry about it. You just try and do the very best job you can. And movies, as I said, uh, you don't get a chance to rehearse unless you've got that in your contract or you've got some kind of a deal with the producers and the director that you will be uh, given adequate time to rehearse. Thanks for that. Now, uh, we're already running out of time, and uh, we've yet to scratch the surface here. I haven't asked you about football or a lot of other things. How about coming back next week uh, for another session? I'd be glad to. If you've got room in your schedule for me, I'd be glad to come back. That that would be great. Uh, We've been visiting with John Amos, uh, Valley resident, writer, actor, and uh, we'll do part two next week. My name's Gary, and this is Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m., and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground.